With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Back. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Back. And we are back. Crossover NBA podcast, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. Week one down in the NBA season, Beck. Down is up, up is down. The Jazz are 3-0, and the Sixers are 0-3. It's pandemonium in the NBA, Howard. Pandium, I mean, pandemonium is great in the NBA. It's First of all, pandemonium, my favorite kind of monium. Um, and pandemonium is what we love. It, it's what keeps this league interesting, um, which it will be for at least another couple of weeks until all of this reverses, everybody regresses to the mean, and the Sixers probably win a few games and, and we'll, we can stop all the panicking. But in the meantime, let's panic away because, you know, pandemonium reigns. I think uh, Bobby Marks made this point about the... 3-0 and start from the Utah Jazz saying it's great, but then he pointed out the Sixers from, what, a decade and a half ago that won 19 games. They started the season out 3-0 and as well, so you do yep. eventually return to uh, to the mean there. But it's fun to watch Jazz uh, play hard, and uh, good for them. Uh, well, and, for- and real quick on that, by the way, as we all get caught up in Wembanyama mania, that's way too many syllables, as we get caught up in all the tanking talk and all the cynicism that we indulge in in this league – as media and fans, it is important to remember, yes, franchises might structurally tank. They might try to set themselves up to be bad for a season or two or three to try to get high picks. But the players and the coaches are, are still trying. Like, like that's, that's the part you can't plan for. And somebody, a scout was reminding me yesterday in the wake of the Jazz going 3-0, hey, remember that year when the Suns tried to tank and won 48 freaking games? 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they and and that like yeah, that happened. That was about eight nine years ago. Um, that was a Suns team that everybody said in the preseason. Oh, yep, they're they're pulling the plug. They're trading pieces. They're they're trying to bottom out. They want to be in whichever. I don't even was that the Wiggins year, whatever year it was, and they won forty eight games. Why? Because they suddenly discovered some weird chemistry, had a breakthrough season. Guys liked each other and played hard and. It can happen. So, you know, the next thing that's going to happen in Utah is uh, either somebody's going to get hurt, possibly in quotation marks, um, or they'll have to start shipping out some of the guys who are making them win too much. But players will still play hard. They're not tanking. Uh, organizations, yes, sometimes do. We should make the no, distinction. Players, players have something to play for, whether it's individually or team success. They are not going to go up there and bend to the will of a front office that wants uh, you to lose. Uh, before we get into our topics this week, Howard, I know you've got a guest lined up for Friday. Who you got? Got Danny Green lined up for Friday. Obviously, Danny out for probably the full season with the ACL, got traded from Sixers to the Grizzlies in the offseason. But Danny Green being Danny Green, I mean, he's he's there every day with that team. Uh, obviously, one of the uh, the wiser vets in this league imparting um, his wisdom to a young team. And so we'll, we'll be chatting about all of that and uh, whether there's a chance of him coming back before this season is over. Obviously, the Grizzlies have high hopes of a, of a deep run and maybe long enough for him to get back. All right, looking forward to that. You can, of course, listen to the Friday episode right here on this podcast feed. No need to subscribe to anything new. If you listen to this podcast, you are automatically subscribed for Howard's uh, Friday version of the show. All right, Howard, I want to begin this episode with a hot take. And I've got a scorcher for you right here, Howard. You? you A hot take? I'm shocked. Are you ready for this? (laughs) Um, The Lakers need to fire Frank Vogel. That's my take. (laughs) Frank Vogel is the problem in Los Uh, Angeles right now. The Lakers start the season at 0-3. They lose to the Portland Trailblazers on Sunday. And Frank Vogel has got to go. His rotations are bad. His coaching acumen is just not there. The players are not responding to Frank. Wait, Frank, Frank Vogel's not there anymore? Oh, they already fired Frank Vogel? So you're telling me that Frank Vogel is not at fault? Oh, but but what about all the the, the talk this offseason about how Frank Vogel was the problem? What about how Russell Westbrook couldn't play for Frank Vogel, but he could play for Darvin Ham? What about how the team defense would improve without the coach that made them the number or top three defensive team in two of his three years on the job. Wait, Howard, this is not Frank's fault. I'm, I'm going to need a minute. I'll let you go. I'm going to need a minute because I can't, Uh, I was told, I was told for, for months that Frank Vogel was the problem with the Lakers and just replacing him would be a cure-all for their woes. That was, this was a good bit. This bit would have been better if we were televised so you could do the Daily Show thing where in the middle of the rant, you put your finger to your ear as if something, the producer is now talking to your ear. Wait, what? I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. This just in. Frank Vogel was fired four months ago and replaced by Darvin Ham. We needed that. We needed the visual, but otherwise perfectly executed. Excellent. Yeah, it, it, look, look. So the Lakers are 0-3, and it, it was never Frank Vogel's fault before they started the season, and it certainly isn't Frank Vogel's fault now. Um, 
it is a deeply flawed roster. Like they are 0-3 and they should be 0-3. The loss to Portland was a far more telling loss than the opening night loss to the defending champs, Golden State, than a loss to a tough Clippers team. This was a home game that they played and they lost the Portland Trailblazers, who are pretty good, quite frankly. Lillard played great. Uh, The Lillard-Anthony Simons combination looks really good, but if you're not beating the Blazers at home, that tells me a lot about where you are. This Lakers team, Howard, it's bad. Right now, through three games, they are shooting 21% from three-point range. That is not only dead last in the NBA, but it is eight percentage points worse than the second-worst three-point shooting team in the league. That would be the Chicago Bulls. Anthony Davis, he is shooting 20% from three, and the highlight, maybe the low light, of that game on Sunday was Davis ricocheting a three-pointer off the side of the backboard in the second half of the game uh, against Portland. This team is a wreck, and it is a wreck that was easily predicted. Russell Westbrook didn't work last year, isn't working this year. When you assemble a roster of players that are not adept at shooting the three-point ball, you are not going to be a good three-point shooting team. I mean, I've said this to you before, Howard. We've discussed this a little bit on the podcast. Sometimes general managers are 100% right when they kind of scoff at media takes and media reporting about certain things. Like, they they know certain things. Look, the Celtics are a great example of it. Like, I, I mean, I've been wrong about the Celtics about 20 times in the last 12 months, whether it was hiring Ime Udoka installing Marcus Smart as head coach. Joe Mazzulla, who we'll get to a little bit later in the show, has been great as a last-minute replacement for Udoka. Sometimes teams do know better than people on the outside, oftentimes. But the Lakers are not an example of that. Everybody knew coming into this season that the best thing for this team was to move off Russell Westbrook. Everybody knew coming into this season that they did not have enough three-point shooting to become a high-level team. And here we are, three games in, and that's how it's played out. I know it's a small sample size, but you're not going to convince me that Westbrook's going to turn it around. You're not going to convince me that this collection of players on the roster is going to become a middle-of-the-pack three-point shooting team. This team, Howard, is in a lot of trouble, and they need to do something quickly if they want to salvage this season. I like the Freudian slip there where you uh, declared Marcus Smart head coach of the Celtics as opposed to the starting point guard. <laughs> Correct, um, yes. My bad. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, not that far off probably. So with the Lakers, you know, look, you know me, Chris. I'm for, I'm usually the guy who three games in is going to go, everybody calm down. Let's, you know, it's early. Like, you know, weird things happen. Let things play out. Let's see where things are in another few. I can't even make that case now. Like, this is not a... It's too soon to judge. This is not a it's small sample size thing. We've already seen the sample size, and it was all of last season. And this is just a continuation. So this isn't like a snap judgment by you or me or by panicky Laker fans. This is just a continuation of where the Lakers have been ever since they made the very foolish, ill-fated trade for Russell Westbrook. And, you know, the only thing that's changed is, yes, they changed the coach. They did bring in a few other players over the summer, but they did not fix anything structurally that was ailing them last season. They they still have Westbrook, for one. They still don't have enough shooting, for two. 
they still don't have uh, perimeter enough perimeter defense, perimeter defenders. Um, they're somehow number two in defensive rating, but again, small sample size theater. But they are 30th in offense. A 30th in offense on a team with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Russell Westbrook. I mean, I, that kind of says it all. Again, small sample size, but still. Um, I was in favor, speaking of patience, I was in favor of the idea conceptually that, you know what, if you didn't find the deal you wanted for Westbrook in the offseason, fine. Start the season, see where teams go over the next several weeks. Um, if if people are going to race to jump into the Wembenyama sweepstakes and they want to start pulling the plug and getting rid of veterans and it gives the Lakers an opportunity to get something better than the long-rumored, long-reported, buddy-heeled Miles Turner thing, okay, maybe there's a better deal to be to be gotten when you're probably shipping out both of your future first-round picks that you can use. But I'm not sure if they can do that anymore. I mean, the criticism and the the intensity of that criticism, the backlash... Feels like it's increasing by the day. You spend a lot of time in LA. Uh, you're there now, I believe. I have not been there, but I'm watching these games, Chris, and I'm watching like my old buddy Bill Plasky at the LA Times um, basically saying, done, it's over. Get, like, pull the plug on Westbrook now. And that was like three days ago. The LA media, Laker fans, everybody's ready to, to, to pull the plug on this. It's only going to get worse. The daily questions and criticism, especially when Westbrook's making decisions like he did, in that loss to Portland, where he's, he's, he's firing the pull-up jumper and, and justifying it as a two-for-one in a situation where they were actually up one. I mean, it, it this is not going to get any better. And I'll just say this, and I, I, I've chatted with a couple people around the league uh, about this this idea over the last couple of days, and I think I'm on solid ground here. This idea that Palenka is not going to or doesn't feel like he should move those two future picks unless it makes them, quote-unquote, a contender – is just that is the wrong standard. It's a ridiculous, outlandish goal. You're not going to be a contender in the short term, but you can't make it all about contender or or status quo because status quo is going to end you land you in the lottery, and that lottery pick is going to end up going to New Orleans because they have swap rights as a result of the Anthony Davis trade. That, as I've mentioned many times, Rob Palenka got his butt kicked in the negotiation over. That pick is going out if they have a worse record than the Pelicans. The Pelicans will have it. So. I'm not saying make a deal just to save face. That would also be foolish potentially, but you, you can't waste another year of how many, how many times do I have to say this? Do not waste another season of LeBron James's career at this stage of his career. When you don't know which year might be the last for him, or at least the last for him at a high level. And he's still playing at a high level. So you can't use the standard of we're only trading those 2027 and 29 picks. If it makes us a contender. No, you need to make a deal that makes you, respectable, plausible, that makes you a, a playoff team. Just just move the ball forward. And if trading Westbrook plus those two picks gets you to Heald and Turner or whether it's something else, you, you just have to do it. It, it. This is not about preserving cap room in 2023. You don't know who or what you might get if you'll get anybody. It's not about who you may or may not get with those picks several years down the road. You have LeBron James now. You can't just flush another season while sitting around, you know, being afraid to, to make those moves. They really need to make a pick now. It can't be about being a contender. Just be respectable, be a playoff team, and you'd get a lot of people off your back. Your fans would be a lot happier, and this season uh, won't be going off the rails. But I don't know that they can wait that long because by the if, if, they, if they wait this out to see what else becomes available at the end of November, I mean, by that time, they could be in such a massive hole that they can't dig out. 
There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. So Kirk Goldsberry over at ESPN.com had a tweet after the game last night. It said, Russell Westbrook has made three of his 17 jump shots this season. And speaking to the shot he took late in the fourth quarter of that game against San Antonio. Goldsbury wrote, he is also the only player that has attempted a jump shot with under 30 seconds to go and 15 plus seconds left on the shot clock with their team up by one in the last four seasons. <laughs> that was a bad shot in every possible way. There is literally no justification for that shot unless Russell Westbrook thought the Lakers were down a point and wanted to try to steal an extra possession. Even then, it doesn't make sense to take a mid-range jump shot with 18 seconds left on the shot clock. It was a, a wild attempt. And I've seen some of the video sleuths out there kind of zooming in on LeBron's reaction, on Anthony Davis's reaction. They're frustrated. They know it was a bad shot. And Russell Westbrook, deep down, knows it was a bad shot. He still thinks he's Russell Westbrook who can do anything, who can make shots like that, and even if he doesn't, will not get criticized for it. That was a terrible shot. Now, you've got to trade him for the for Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. You have to do it. I keep the suggestion or the idea that Bradley Beal is going to become available around Thanksgiving is ludicrous. That Damian Lillard might become available around Thanksgiving, ludicrous. By Thanksgiving, this team could be like 10 games under 500. And in a whole world of trouble, as you said, in a hole too deep to dig themselves out of. You've got to make the Heald and Turner trade right now. I understand that trading two first-round picks for Buddy Heald and free agent-to-be Miles Turner is scary. 
Absolutely. That could, six years from now, we could be lamenting that decision. But here's what the Lakers have done. They have made their deal with the devil, and the devil is LeBron James. Like, they decided that they were going to be committed for the next two or three years to LeBron James, and they owe it to him, and they now owe it to Anthony Davis to assemble the best possible team around them. So, Heald may be a flawed player. Turner is a flawed player. But both those guys are better than everybody else the Lakers have on the roster right now. You put Buddy Heald on the Lakers, he is a starter. You put Miles Turner on the Lakers, he is a starter. And the ancillary benefit of this is that you would remove Russell Westbrook from the equation. Not only remove Russell Westbrook, the player, but the distraction that is Russell Westbrook that they have to deal with in that locker room every single day. You've got to do it, Howard. Like, I don't know... I, I'm not. I don't know how much more unequivocal I can be in this situation. You have got to make that deal tomorrow. Rob Palenka needs to get on the phone with the Indiana Pacers front office and tell them we're ready to do this deal. Russell Westbrook, two first-round picks, Miles Turner, Buddy Heald. Maybe there are some smaller pieces looped in to make the money work, but that deal has to get done. Otherwise, this Lakers season is over. There will be no recovering. They will be, at best, battling for a spot in the play-in tournament. Here's what they've got coming up, Chris. Um, at 0-3, as we know, they're at Denver next. Then they're at Minnesota. Then they're home against Denver. Like, that that could easily, easily be 0-6. Then they're home against New Orleans. The Pelicans, I mean, I, you know, Zion is. Oh, do you is think they're not going to be looking different, to kick, kick the Lakers' ass? Oh, for, not for sure. <laughs> for sure. I'm just, I, I was just going to qualify that, you know, Zion is banged up right now and Brandon Ingram might have a concussion. So who knows? You Herb know. Jones, but, too. Herb Jones but, got hurt, too, there. Yeah. But that's, but that, that game is whatever, a week or so out. So, um, and then home against Utah, which, you know, hey, we thought Utah was going to be tanking and they're, you know, they're, they're kicking people's butts. And then, and then they get Cleveland, then they're at Utah, then, the, then they've got the Clippers. Like the schedule's not going to let up. I mean, I'm not sure how many teams the Lakers are demonstrably better than anyway, even on paper. Um, like this thing could get out of control really quickly. And, you know, I, I don't know where their first win is coming. I don't know where they're going to be after 10 games or 15, but. There's no real reason for optimism right now. So again, yeah, I'm I'm one who usually says, you know what, let it ride out, give it a little time. But th- I just don't think there is any time right now. Can we just step back for a minute on this? Because I see a lot of like backlash to the Westbrook backlash and I get it. You know, people are saying, listen, don't put this all on Russ. He's not, you're, of course, like in, a, in the most literal sense, people who are trying to defend Russ's honor or feel bad for him, in the most literal sense, you are correct. But what Westbrook's performance is his performance, right? Like, do um, no one should absolve him of the way he's playing or just where he is at the stage of his career. But yeah, it's an organizational decision, and he's not the only problem they have. Obviously, we've we've addressed some of those other problems: shooting, defense, whatever. But it is the organization that decided to trade for him a year ago, a year plus ago, and like at some point. I, I'm curious to see if the frustration and the backlash and the criticism shifts from Westbrook to the person who is responsible for making that decision, and that's Rob Palinka. Rob Palinka was revealed got within the extension. last couple of weeks, got an extension through 2026. Um, listen, sometimes teams will uh, you know, proactively extend their top basketball executive. Um, 
reward them for great work, maybe. Um, you do it early or you want to prevent losing them to another team. Neither of those factors is at work here, uh, I, I can say safely. Um, so I don't know what the incentive or the, the, the motivation is other than, well, again, what was reported was, well, they wanted his term to align with Darvin Ham's new contract so that you've got the stability of front office and coach. No, I'm sorry. Like, I, 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 I somewhat get that. But no, not when the person who is running the front office has as shaky of a record as this one has. And I mean, look, it's not just the Westbrook trade, which everybody in the league knew was bad at the time that the Lakers made it. Nobody agreed with this with this move for the Lakers. No one. It's also that going back multiple years here, we've seen time and time again, like Rob Palenka deconstructed a ro the roster that won the championship. Uh, he and Magic Johnson failed to get shooting their first time out. Then they got shooting. Then they got rid of shooting and they haven't recovered and gotten more shooting again since. I say they, but I mean, Palink and his staff, obviously Magic has moved on, although he still is an advisor to, to Jeannie Buss unofficially. Um, Rob Palinka got nothing done of value this summer. He didn't unload Westbrook this summer. He overvalued Taylor Horton Tucker and kept him what he could have gotten Kyle Lowry for him uh, a season and a half, two seasons ago, whenever that was. Um, the basic LeBron formula we've known for many, many years, surround him with shooters, and the Lakers are the only team that LeBron's been on that hasn't seemed to understand that. I mean, I, I don't like going in on GMs and coaches and making the case to get rid of somebody. I've, you will never, ever, ever see me writing or broadcasting about this guy's got to go. I, I don't care. It's not my problem. But I do think if we're going to sit here and analyze what's wrong with the Lakers and criticize what's wrong with the Lakers and keep pointing at Westbrook, again, fairly, you still have to come back to why this roster is so flawed in the first place, why Westbrook is even there to be in this position in the first place. It's because the front office has made multiple mistakes over the last years, costly mistakes, costly mistakes that are taking the best or the, the last best years of LeBron's career and, 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 and making them irrelevant. Like that... That's rough, man. Like I, I would not want to be the GM presiding over the 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 LeBron years where he's still playing at an All NBA kind of level, even an MVP kind of level at times, and making those seasons irrelevant by having failed to surround him with the right kind of roster. And and that's where we are with this Lakers team right now. And I just don't think there's any way around that. No, I don't think there's any way around it either. Another time we'll go deeper on Anthony Davis because he's got to have some responsibility here too. His shooting for the second year in a row is just awful right now. And if he's not playing like a top 10 player, the Lakers really have no chance to overcome the other weaknesses they have on the by roster. By the way, uh, by the yeah. way, quick aside on that, because Anthony Davis has, has looked like he's gotten back to some of his, his old defensive play early on. And I think there's still a chance that, that Anthony Davis is still a very good player. Um, I mean, are we at the point where they should be considering trading him too? Because I feel like they are. Like Westbrook is a negative asset and you have to send out picks to incentivize a team to take the contract and to take him off your hands. Anthony Davis is still a net plus asset, probably the only net plus asset they have aside from LeBron himself, who is not tradable right now. Um, I mean, I, I, again, I don't think that this front office has shown the kind of creativity and and just uh, uh, outside the box thinking that would even consider an Anthony Davis deal. But 
I think that should be on the table too. If you, I mean, there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done here, and you're not getting help by trading out, you know, whatever, like Austin Reeves and and Lonnie Walker the fourth. Like you're just there aren't that many paths to improve. Anthony Davis is the one chip you have that you could really bring back multiple pieces that are you know above average type players. Yeah, I just don't know if at this point you could get back the kind of value that would make it worth it. I mean, you just almost have to hope that the Davis that we're seeing defensively is eventually matched by a player we're used to seeing offensively, that he gets his shoot numbers up into the 30s from three-point range and becomes more dominant offensively because if he's not, they're they're in a whole world of trouble. All right, I want to talk about Philadelphia and their start this season. The Sixers, they dropped to 0-3 after a loss to San Antonio on Saturday. Here's Doc Rivers after that game with some ominous words about his team. I've been through these, and we're not ready yet. Honestly, we're just not. We're not ready to win yet. Um, you can feel that. And so uh, we got a lot of work to do. It was almost like we played these first two games hard, uh, competed, and then felt like, okay, now we can win some games. You still got to go out and earn the game. Uh, you know, Tuck was yelling that after the game, and he was right. You know, no one's just going to give you a win. You, know, you have to go get it, uh, and you have to do it a lot. Uh, every night. They can't pick and choose when we're going to show up right now, and that's what we're doing. So, Howard, not great right now in Philadelphia, and uh, not exactly the words you want to hear from your head coach. Um, I I saw them play the opener in Boston. I've watched them on TV since, but what do you make of the Sixers' start to the season? I mean, that's pretty alarming. Like, in the Lakers' case, most of us kind of expected they'd be bad, if not necessarily this bad. The Sixers, you know, they made some nice moves over the summer. They fortified their bench. They got P.J. Tucker. They get a, an in-shape James Harden, and they get him for, you know, to start training camp, whereas, you know, they brought him in the middle of last season. So there was all the reason in the world to think, and a lot of people feeling like the Sixers were going to be contenders right out of the gate. And there, I saw people picking them to have, whether it was best record in the East or even come out of the East, for them to be 0 and 3, one of the handful of teams that are that are still winless, um definitely alarming. 24th overall in offense right now, 24th overall in defense right now and they're supposed to be elite at both ends. Um losing to Boston and Milwaukee is alarming because those are the teams you're supposed to be beating to for Eastern Conference supremacy. Losing to the Spurs is alarming because the Spurs aren't trying to win this season. Um just uh, tough all the way around. Um, and B discloses that, you know, his conditioning isn't where it would normally be because he had plantar, uh, plantar fasciitis over the summer, which limited him. So he's still getting back. Okay. But he dropped 40 of the night and, and, you know, looks pretty damn good overall. Harden's putting up numbers like he always does. Um, although his 32% from three would be a career worst, uh, if that continued. Um, is it just that the pieces aren't quite fitting yet? Is it a chemistry thing because they've got a bunch of new pieces? Is it that they've you know they're trying to figure out the right balance between Harden and Bead, Tyrese Maxey? Like I, I think it's a little of everything, um, and I, I I I don't know that it's there's any one thing to point to, but and, and overall I I like the talent is there right? Like I look at that roster. And I think these guys will be fine. Can they win the East? We could debate that. I think they're going to be fine. I don't think 0-3 is indicative, uh, indicative of who they are. Um, but it is alarming. And when and when Doc himself is is 
you know, kind of saying we're not ready to win yet. Uh, you know, I, 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 I don't, uh, I don't dismiss that. No, I don't dismiss it either. Um, I think a lot of this traces back to Joel Embiid's inability up until this point to dominate. And that's what he was doing last year when he was healthy. He was dominating on, on both ends of the floor. He's not as dominant defensively as he was last season. And he's not playing with the kind of force you expected him to play offensively. You mentioned the foot injury that he revealed he was dealing with for a couple of months during the offseason. That probably has something to do with it. It's definitely a warning sign when you hear about a player need to work his way back into condition, especially when that player is Joel Embiid, who we've talked about conditioning a lot about with him over the years. But look at some of the numbers with Embiid. His shooting percentage is at 45%. That's about five points down from last season. He's shooting 18% from three-point range, Howard. 18%. The last two years, he has been right around 37 38% from three-range. So he's basically sliced that shooting percentage in half from where he was last season. He's still averaging 27 points, so he's putting up numbers with bulk shooting. Uh, his field goal attempts are the highest they've ever been in his career, 21.3, but he's not anywhere near as efficient as as he used to be. Um, and and that, that, to me, is it. I mean, we can talk about the defense. It's, it, it's never going to be great, and it certainly hasn't been as good as it could be, but this is about Joel Embiid to me. He's got to be Joel Embiid MVP candidate. If he's, if he's not, James Harden just isn't the dominant player that he used to be, that used to be enough to carry a team through the lulls that a James, that a uh, Joel Embiid might be dealing with. Tyrese Maxey's been hot and cold. His numbers are okay, but I think some of those numbers have been garbage time type of minutes, uh, type of numbers. Um, they just need Embiid to be Embiid. And I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say he'll get back there. He's still young enough. He's always motivated. He's super talented. I think those numbers are going to creep up. But until he can play with the kind of force that they saw him play with last season, they're going to be vulnerable on both ends. I mean, the San Antonio loss was bad. I You can excuse the first couple of losses. They go to Boston. The Celtics are fired up. They lose that game. They come back home. They lose to Milwaukee, which is playing its first game of the season. You can sort of understand that. The San Antonio one, you can't. I mean, the Spurs have nothing to play for, and I'm watching that game, and I'm watching them get carved up by Devin Vassell. Like, that, that that can't happen if you're hoping to be a contending team in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, um, all of that. All of that. I mean, there's there's nothing I can really disagree with. I, I just, I, I do think that uh, this, is, this is a team where, yes, they got, whatever, less than a half season of, of Harden and Embiid as a partnership. They had a training camp now. They've had preseason, whatever. Yes, I expect better of this team chemistry-wise and for them to figure out the balance. Again, those two guys put Maxi in there too because he is another elite scorer on that team and a guy who, like Harden, needs to have the ball in his hands to be effective. I do think that to an extent it takes a little time to kind of settle in. And they brought in you know several pieces of note over the summer. Uh, Anthony Melton and Tucker, Daniel House. I mean, they they... It's it is a not an overhauled group, um, and, and I'm not looking to give them excuses here. But I just I, I this is one where the zero and three 
doesn't make me start setting off alarm bells. Like they, they should for themselves. Yes, that's that's what you do as an organization. You should be concerned. But I think some of this is just uh, the, the, the usual settling in for a new season. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, but I'll be keeping a close eye on how Embiid plays over these next few weeks and kind of what he looks like physically out there because they need him to be great or else they can't. They can't be among the top teams in the Eastern Conference. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. All right, let's talk about the Nets. Uh, one and one to start this season. By the time most people listen to this podcast, they'll have played uh, on Monday night against Memphis. Interesting two-game road trip coming up for uh, Brooklyn. They're at Memphis, then they're at Milwaukee. Two big physical teams they're going to have to match up with, and that didn't look like it would be good for them after the opening night loss uh, to New Orleans. They bounce back a couple of days later, and they win against Toronto. Close win over the Raptors. Uh Early returns on Brooklyn. Have we learned anything that might tell us uh, about the future of the Nets? I mean, I, I'm going back to the early caveats and all that. I mean, it, it, you know, a, a two-game sample size is just ridiculously low. I mean, I was there on opening night um, for their loss to the to the Pelicans. I was there for part of the game against the Raptors when they won. Um, you know. I, I think, again, this is a team with some feeling out process going on, especially with Ben Simmons, who, as we know, hadn't played in a year and a half and had never played with the Nets. Uh, no Seth Curry or Joe Harris for the first game. Joe Harris plays the second game. Still no Seth Curry yet. He's kind of an important piece for them. No TJ Warren yet. So, I mean, you know, there's some things early on where you go, you know what, let's see what happens when they have their shooters and when they get whole. Um, but, but... Ben Simmons, I mean, 
you you swapped Harden for Simmons, trying to you know Sixers and, and Nets trying to to each unload their problems for the other team's problem, and at the time it looks like win win because they're both all NBA caliber guards, and the, the the Nets get a lot younger by going from Harden to Simmons, and hey, you know they got two elite scorers already in Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Simmons can come in and just be a, a great facilitator, which is one of his strengths. But I don't know, Chris, if it's um, a continuation of the physical difficulties that Ben Simmons had last season. And remember, he ended up with back surgery or if it's a continuation of the mental block that he's had, which he has alluded to, although not really gotten very expansive on whatever's going on with Ben Simmons. The guy's averaging four field goal attempts a game over the first two games Four. For a guy who has the ball in his hands a lot, he may not be the primary guy all the time on a team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. This is a guy who came into the league as a 6'10 point guard, and even the least shooting of point guards have to shoot sometimes. Four field goal attempts per game. That was three shots in 23 minutes in the first game, five shots in 32 minutes in the second game, and just two free throw attempts so far over the two games. Two free throw attempts in 55 minutes. I mean, it just shows he's not being aggressive. He's not even trying. Like, you know, whether that's afraid to shoot because he doesn't want to go to the line where he's historically been been pretty bad, and, and I, he, I think he airballed one of those free throw attempts. Um, whether it's that, I don't know. His rebounds are where they usually are, more or less. His assist totals or averages are about where they are, more you know, normally are, more or less. But Ben Simmons, even though he's not a big-time scorer, he did average 11.6 shot attempts per game in his four seasons in Philly. 11.6, and he's right now at four. He averaged almost five free throw attempts per game during his four-year career in Philly, and right now he's got two free throws in two games. Um, Like, that to me is a little bit alarming. That to me is a little bit alarming because I, I, it, it just, it makes me question, like, does he, is he physically uncomfortable? Is he mentally not comfortable? When is that comfort going to arrive? Is it going to arrive? Is Ben Simmons still the same player who can become all NBA again? Um, I I don't know. I don't know. Again, two games in, don't want to overreact. But if you're going on the early returns, I'd I'd say those things are at least uh, noteworthy, if not mildly alarming. Yeah, I think they're alarming too. Um, The lack of aggressiveness bothers me. I understand to your point that Ben Simmons, at his best in Brooklyn, is a facilitator. When they're fully healthy, they are loaded offensively. He should spend all his time in transition looking for KD, looking for Kyrie, looking for Joe Harris, looking for Seth Curry. But he still has to prove that he's a threat offensively, that he's willing to shoot, because right now, when I watch these Nets games, teams are looking at him and it just seems like every time they see him touching the ball, they know he's looking to pass. No matter how close he gets to the rim, he's not looking to finish. And and that's got to change. Um, Maybe it will. It is a small sample size for Ben Simmons. The bigger and more, I think, long-term problem, and this kind of connects to Ben Simmons, is that they're just small. I mean, Howard, you mentioned being at the opener. I I watched it on TV. Like I'm sitting there. It it had a very like 
Adam Sandler and Billy Madison vibe to it. Where it's like the, you've got the the Pelicans out there just playing bully ball. You've got Valanciunas around the rim tipping the ball to himself. Zion just going to the basket liberally, knowing nobody on that Nets back line is able to stop them. They've just got nothing on that front line. Nick Nick Claxton is fine, but he's not a big guy. And there's nobody really behind him to help him out. And that this is how it connects to Simmons. That puts Simmons in a tough spot because he's having to play power forward on the defensive side because Kyrie's out there, you know, smaller guys are out there, whether it's Patty Mills or, you know, Joe Harris. So Ben Simmons is having to defend bigger players and that doesn't really maximize the defensive skills of Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is at his best when he's guarding smaller players or wing players defensively. Like that's where he thrives on that end of the floor. Matching up with Zion is not good for Ben Simmons. That's not going to yield many positive results when he has to match up with that type of player. That's why I wasn't surprised to see him have more success in the game against Toronto, which starts a bunch of guys that are like 6'7 out there. I mean, I think, what, Presh Sachua is like the biggest, most physical guy they play um, in that Raptors rotation. So I, seeing Ben Simmons not foul out as he did against the Pelicans, not look overwhelmed, collecting 10 rebounds as he did against the Ra- uh, Raptors, that made more sense. But you go down to Memphis, again, that game will be over by the time people hear this podcast, but I'm going to make a prediction that that's not going to be a good matchup for Ben Simmons. And then Milwaukee, another big physical team, that's going to be a tough matchup for for the Nets. So I think the roster construction is a problem here. They've got a ton of skill guys. They're going to win some games because they get white hot from the field and and they beat you that way. But against these more, these bruising teams that the Eastern Conference is loaded with, against these types of teams, they're going to have problems because Nick Claxton and the guys they have in that front line are not enough to match up with those types of teams. Yeah, I mean, we knew this coming into the season, right? They just didn't have enough size. And then, you know, there's sometimes this temptation to say, well, yeah, yeah, all right, look, every team needs something. You know, very few teams, you know, it, you know, even the teams that win championships, you can look at in the preseason and go, ah, well, they could use, you know, fill in the blank. Um, so we knew this going in. And the, the counter to it was, all right, but look at the firepower and they'll find a way to patch it up. And, you know, Ben Simmons is actually a very good defender who can defend all five positions. And between him and Durant and Claxton, whatever, they'll figure it out. But you knew that against certain teams that are really big inside and that and that and that take advantage of that or that have the, the, the players to to um, to leverage inside, you know, a Joel Embiid, a Jokic or a Zion Valanciunas combination. That's where you're just in trouble. That's where, like, we can say all we want about, well, they've got all the shooting and they've got all these other things and they'll 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 somehow weather it. Eh, sometimes you just, you know, the the. the the weakness is the weakness. And and I, I don't know what their answer is here. I don't know if it's pick up Dwight Howard off the free agent scrap heap or... Well, doesn't it have to be considered at some point? Yeah. Like, you've got Dwight Howard out there. You've got DeMarcus Cousins out there. Nobody's saying they should be 30-minute-per-game starters. But having someone like that, at least on the bench, who can match up when you have these giant teams out there, like the Pelicans... Like the 76ers, like the Bucks, um, at least having that option, I think, would be useful to the Nets. Yeah, yeah, you you should at least have the option. That is exactly it. It's it's and you need to mix it up sometimes. 
you know, it, it, it's, there are various ways of, uh, there, there's various approaches to, 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 to defense, team defense, whatever, but sometimes you just need the obvious thing. Sometimes you just need some size just to throw out there in, in stretches and give your guys a bit of a breather, um, make, you know, the opposing big work a little bit more, whatever it may be. And, you know, look, even when they had LaMarcus Aldridge and Blake Griffin, and those guys were both on their last legs, it seemed, while they were with the Nets, but it gave them an option, and they let them both walk. Blake Griffin now doing good work uh, for the Boston Celtics. They could probably use Griff, uh, Blake Griffin to, to bang inside right now. And like, Look, he ain't stopping Zion either. Uh, you know, Zion with a full head of steam, not too many people are, are getting in his way or, or doing much about it. But... Blake Griffin, strong, low center of gravity, and in late in his career has transitioned nicely to a guy who's willing to just kind of like bang, draw charges, um, just make guys work a little bit. And the Nets just don't have anybody who does that right now. So I I think, you know, look, there are going to be a lot of things that the Nets might have to address (laughs) this season. We'll see how things go with Ben Simmons and with the, you know, whatever may come next from Kyrie Irving, right? But somewhere along yeah. the way here, assuming that they're keeping the, the, their their big three together and are going to try to 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 do this and make a run this season, at some point they got to address the center issue. Yeah, I agree. All right, a couple quick things before we go. Uh, your New Orleans Pelicans, Howard, the my Pelicans of the well, <laughs> you wrote about Zion for the cover this uh, this month, so we'll call right, them fine. your Pelicans. I'll take them. two and one, All right. two and one to start the season. Uh, they lose to the unbeatable Utah Jazz in overtime on Sunday, but they open the season with wins at Brooklyn, at Charlotte. Charlotte win doesn't look that bad early, too, because the Hornets right now are 2-1. and one. Um, I'll start here. That's a good starting lineup. Like Putting aside the injury issues that they're dealing with at the moment, um, hopefully the Zion injury isn't lasting. Hopefully the Ingram injury isn't lasting. Herb Jones, same way. If they're healthy, that starting lineup is really good. It's one of the best starting lineups, I think, in the NBA because, you know, Zion seems to fit pretty well playing opposite Valanciunas, and he can shift over to the five spot, has shifted over to the five spot for stretches. CJ McCollum has been a fantastic fit for that team, really giving them some veteran leadership at that position. Um, Herb Jones, you were there, Howard. Herb Jones blocked a Kevin Durant jump shot from the corner, and Herb Jones when he made that block, he was like five feet away, seven feet away from where Durant was when he elevated. You can count on one hand the number of guys that have done that to Kevin Durant. Maybe only on a couple of fingers. Like Herb Jones is a special defensive player. So you've got that in the mix. I don't love their bench that much, but if that starting five can stay healthy and if the bench can give them a little bit, they're a dangerous team. They're a playoff team in the Western Conference and depending on the development of Brandon Ingram. The Pelicans are legit. I mean, I, you know, look, again, we're talking, you know, with, you know, we're three games into the season. They're two and one. You don't want to get carried away. But I mean, look, there was every reason to believe they were legit coming into the season. What they've done so far, I think, has just kind of validated that. Um, I, you know, we've talked about it since since the, the, the day the deal happened. I mean, the C.J. McCollum trade was... A, a brilliant deal for the Pelicans. They made a playoff or made a, a run through the play-in tournament into the playoffs with that late season rally after getting McCollum and became a respectable team before Zion even got back. So as long as Zion was able to mesh his talents with Ingram and McCollum, 
and a group that kind of found its stride, found its chemistry without him. As long as Zion could reintegrate himself effectively, there's zero reason to think that the Pelicans are not legit. And when I say legit, you know, that doesn't mean I'm saying Western Conference Finals team, although, you know, the West is goofy. Who knows this season where it all end up? I wouldn't rule anything out, but they absolutely can be a top six team. And, you know, we need to talk in terms of top six now because those are the the guaranteed playoff spots. The Pelicans can avoid the play-in. The Pelicans can be a top six team in the West. It's crowded. Yes, there are teams with a longer track record. Yes, um, they've got some youth in key spots. We haven't seen a full season from Zion. All those things are true. But the Pelicans on talent are legit. You went through that starting lineup. Their bench is really strong. I mean, we saw that nice... uh, you know, rookie season from Jose Alvarado, a pesky defender. They've got Devontae Graham and his shooting, Trey Murphy and his shooting, and, and Larry Nance Jr.'s a really nice vet that every team can benefit from. Like, they just they just got good guys, and they've got a nice balance of offense and defense. Uh, they got to stay healthy, obviously, and that's always a thing with Zion. That's the story of his career so far. But they're good. They're fun. I, I do think there's going to be some challenges along the way from night to night kind of figuring out how best to feature Zion versus when to feature Ingram versus when to feature McCollum. Um, That stuff does take time. Not that anybody's selfish, just that, you know, hey, they're all used to having the ball in their hands a lot and are all really effective with it. So, uh, but I think they will. Um, I think think the Pelicans, not only legit, but are going to be a lot of fun to watch all season. All right, we will leave it there. Check out Howard's interview with Danny Green on the Friday episode of the podcast, and we will see you next week. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events... 
You'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.